And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to glorify bad men. Right. Did bad shit to me and my mother. And, and, uh, you know, so I was like, you know what raised me and taught me more about life is this rugged country and being stuck in the mountains with no power. And I was like, you know, it's the Native American route. I'm Montana, and I'd been called Montana since I was a kid, you know, because I was so backwoods, backcountry stuff. So I'm like, that's that's it. So, you know, we had it legally changed uh, a long time ago. So That's awesome. Yeah. Where did you, when, when did you, did you start playing guitar as a kid? When did you start playing music? Uh, I think I was six years old. We lived in the Flathead Valley. Um Oh, you live in the Flathead? Yeah, I was born in Kalispell. Don't tell all my Butte people that. But uh, damn, my mom had left Butte, so I was. My mom grew up in Butte. My grandmother grew up in Butte. Then my mom left, had me in the Flathead, and uh, and then I lived in Kyla, Montana, which is way out there. Yep. And I went to find the house that I grew up in. And I got lost. I my like, wife grew up in Kyla. No shit. Yeah. I went to Kyla Elementary School, and we had, a, like, a mountain lion alarm and stuff. If lions would come in the playground, I mean, that's that's weird because nobody's from Kyla. 38. That's wild. I wonder if you two, because she's 42. Wait, you didn't date her, did you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're Eskimo brothers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was 11. <laughs> I developed fast with all that well, she was, elk meat. She was very promiscuous, so. <laughs> At 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So yeah, her her mom owned uh, Julie's Bar. Ju- no shit. Yeah, that's Je- Jess. Grew I went up- there all the time. Hey, yeah, need, at eleven. Probably need to get her in here. No shit. That is bizarre. We'd stop there all the her time. Her mom is Julie. She's, what the she, hell? She might be working downstairs. My mom would flip out if she heard that. Really? My mom would lose her mind. We went there all the time because we had Pac Man's Pawn Shop that was right down the store from Julie's, and we had the gun store that had the Vietnam era duck camouflage duck. I promise you, they know exactly where we started and then we moved off grid when I was like six. They know exactly where that is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jerry uh, is her dad, Jerry and Julie. Okay. And uh, her dad passed away. But um, yeah, Jess grew up uh, like waiting tables in there. They had the that arena the arena out back. So they would have like ropings and stuff there. Yeah. And, and then there was the little camouflage bar past Julie's on the left where they always okay. had a ponytail hanging where a hippie was hit checking once and they cut his, his hair off and hung it <laughs> off the bar. So yeah. I was like, uh, note to self, don't ever grow your hair out in Kyla, Montana. I moved before I did that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, so I grew up with loggers and weirdo militia people up there. And it yeah. was an interesting childhood. That's amazing. Well, that's that's a crazy turn of events. We'll have to, when your mom comes back here, we'll have to see. She I wonder will if, flip out. I wonder if Jess, uh, I wonder if Julie, is Julie working here today, Henry? Yeah, I don't know. Shoot, shoot Jess a text and ask her if her mom... Her mom should uh, come down in about an hour and meet Tim's mom. Anyway, well, that's cool. So that's uh, wild, yeah, yeah. So you were born there. So where did, where did the music come in then? As a uh, when we went off grid, I got a guitar from that pawn shop. So we moved way out in the mountains. It was uh, for the God from the time I was five or six till we moved to Butte. It was lanterns, candles, really very remote. The generator would. Sometimes start, usually not. And yeah. uh, I learned a lot of things about using uh, starting fluid back in those days. Yeah. And burn my hair off you. Can times. be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, man. I love that shit, making blow torches. Like, oh, I'll see if I can get the generator started. I'm engulfed in flames laughing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if the generator would start, I'd vacuum the house and then I'd get to watch a movie. It was like my treat for vacuuming the house. But 
the guitar came in because I had the TV went off. No video games, no television. I hated it when I was a kid, but then I grew up and I was like, that was pretty cool, you know. Yeah, there's an appreciation to that. It's a... Uh it's interesting because when I was a lineman and I've told this story a couple times, but when we would have people out of power, like, you know, a couple city blocks or whatever neighborhood out of power for some reason, um, we would show up and there would be kids all over the place playing Yeah, like on a summer evening, like today, uh, you know, kids everywhere playing whatnot. We'd show up people that'd be out in their backyards and they'd just be sitting in chairs sometimes like in the, you know, along the alley, like in the backyard, kind of watching us work, fix the, fix the power lines or trim the tree out that came through the line or whatever. And without fail, every time we would slam that cutout home and the lights would come on, it was like cockroaches and the kids were back in the house. Right. And if you think about, I mean, obviously, having power is a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice luxury. But if you think about the creativity and, and production and all the inventions and the stuff that came out of probably people just having time on their hands to not just be sit there and entertained with their eyeballs on a, on a screen. Yeah. Um, music, playing music, art, you know, craftsmanship out in the garage or in the barn or whatever, like all that stuff. Yeah. I don't think I would have learned. I, I yell at my kids all the time. I got four kids, and uh, I'm like, man, as, as mad as I get at them for being on devices, and I try to limit it, I'm like, man, I am so ADD. I probably would have never developed or known about this musical thing had right. I not, not you know, if, if I had access to video games and television and, and stuff that normal kids had, I don't know that I'd be the musician that I am today. You yeah. know, it's kind of yeah. lights off. You figure out, you know, what, what you're made of, and... Did your mom make you go play that thing out in the barn so you didn't annoy the shit out of her? No, it wasn't an acoustic guitar. Was so it? I'd go in the bedroom and I'd, I'd literally light a lantern and sit there and I'd, I'd just pick had a little uh, CD player. I remember I'd always size D batteries. If I was lucky, my mom would buy me a pack so I could play CDs. And then yeah. she'd bring me CDs home from the pawn shop. And she wouldn't look at what they were. And she brought me like tool undertow. And my mom is so religious. So she's bringing me these like <laughs> hardcore rock CDs. Yeah. And then she brought me Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion, and like the cuss words in there. And she'd be like, Where did you get that? You, what is, you're going to hell. And I'm like, Mom, you brought this to me. Yeah. And there's like a hidden song at the end of that tool undertow album I'll never forget. Cause I'm sitting in my room listening to it late at night. I got headphones on. And all of a sudden, sheeps are bad. And this guy's like doing all this like weird. I don't know, dark preacher stuff. And I'm yeah. like, mom, you've got to stop bringing me this satanic <laughs> shit. <laughs> that is awesome. Did you have any lessons growing up at all? Or did you just kind of figure it out? I figured it out for the most part. And then I did, my brother's uh, legally blind. He has albinism. And uh, so, and my mom was an interpreter for the deaf. So I spent a lot of time with deaf kids, blind kids, special need kids. And I met a blind guitar player that blew my mind. So I, I trained with him for a while, did lessons, not a ton. You know, we didn't, I'd go to town for school and then usually come back and have to work, you know, around the property. But uh, he taught me a lot of things about guitar. And then later in life, I ended up meeting another blind guitar player. I've always been fascinated because I have seen it so many times with blind people and deaf people. They have skills that people that have all their, yep. you know, senses don't. They develop an extra one. Really? And uh, yeah. so some of the f most fantastic musicians in the world can't see or, you know. Yeah. And in rare occasions, can't hear Mozart or Bach. I forget who it is. Don't quote me on that. But yeah, and that's that's bonkers. That's just crazy. Yeah. What uh, with the with the instruments was it always just the guitar for you, or did you have other instruments you like to play? I did drums in Butte High Marching Band. 
so I can still get around a drum so set. So did I. Did you really? I was a drummer in our band, yeah. Oh, yeah. We didn't march. Yeah, I'd march, and I'd love setting off car alarms in Butte, Montana, because I'd have that big bass drum yeah. going, boom, anytime I walk by a car that had an alarm on, I'd be yeah, like, I was, hell yeah. I was the drummer in the pet band, but our our school was so small that a lot of times I'd have to like go over and like drum during my own warm up for basketball game <laughs> for a couple songs. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I was no, I wasn't, you know, of course I thought I was good cause I was the best drummer in my tiny little class, but, uh, I'm sure I was terrible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't claim to be a drummer. I can get around a drum set, but yeah. What made you guys move off grid? Uh, my mom married this guy that had this shop up there and, and he was kind of a the militia movement of the nineties was a big thing. Yeah. And, uh, so that was his main reason, you know, but it, it was scary at times cause he was a pretty crazy dude. You yeah. Know? And, but some of the shit he talked about, I see happening today and I'm like, uh, you know, he was, he was a nutso guy, but then some of the stuff I'm like, Oh, I heard about this in 1992 in the backwoods of Montana. So yeah. made the best of it. Learned a lot, learned a lot of, you know, a lot of things I didn't love, a lot of things I've used today, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, I was part of that movement. I was in Fairbanks, Alaska a couple of years ago and this buddy came up and he lived down Truman Creek and uh, it's way up in Kyla, kind of Blacktail Loop area. But uh, they were religious, like zealots, right? So they yeah. weren't, you know, they weren't burying AK-47s like we were. <laughs> they right. were. They were up there doing religious stuff. He's like, yeah, that uh, Randy Weaver guy would come to your house, and that's why my dad, I want to apologize because I stopped playing with you for a long time. And I was like, oh, yeah, that Randy guy, he made quite a splash, didn't he? <laughs> and I like tell no people shit. that. They're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it was a different world up in the, the backcountry of Montana in the 90s, I'll tell you what. Yeah. So. It is weird, though. Like, I, I find people, like, when I tell people about, things I think about or worry about a little bit. I don't spend a lot of time worrying necessarily, but like being prepared and being a quote unquote prepper, right. it's with this weird like line that I find myself walking closer and closer to, which I'm not a crazy person, but also like, yeah, I have four kids and a family and also like look around the world and I see how inept I perceive our government to be. Yeah. And it, it makes me like, like, okay, maybe some of these people aren't as crazy as uh, as they sounded, you know. Right. And I don't know if it's age or if it's just literally just how precarious it feels like our world's getting. I ask more. my wife that all the time. I'm like, are we getting to the age where we're becoming our parents or is shit really out of hand? Yeah. And I've even asked my mom that. And she's like, things are scarier now. And she's all book of revelation, you know, always has been. Yeah. The end of times is near, Timmy. Prepare <laughs> to meet thy God. <laughs> like, I was always waiting. She's like, the good people will be picked off and they'll be gone. And well, hopefully he needs a guitar player. Back. And I, I was always like looking around waiting for my mom to disappear and be like, oh, shit, did they know about all the playboys I have under my bed? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Hopefully hopefully God needs one more guy in his band. Yeah. It's yeah. your only chance. <laughs> Where'd everybody go? Oh, no. <laughs> well, devil went down to Georgia. That's right. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of wild. And, and like, you know, also I think working for the power company and seeing – at times how precarious the power grid system can be or could right. be, you know, not as much in our area as, as like, I mean, when they're asking people in California to shut off, you know, their air AC or set your AC at 75, not 72, like that's, that's you're, you're walking on a fine line. But right. if we, if we, if we, if there was a coordinated attack on, you know, a dozen substations across this country, 
we would find millions of people out of power for months. Oh yeah, I went through you know? Nashville with tornadoes and our city shuts down. And then my one of my best friends is a lineman for Northwestern, and he came down duck hunting in January, and he looked up at our power lines. And he's like, "Dude, who is hanging the power in Nashville?" He's like, "This looks like absolute shit." You yeah. guys are cruising for a bruising, and we have blackouts all the time, and then. Flooding, any kind of storms, ice storms, we'll be down for 72 hours. The Montana boy here has got a big old generator on his tour bus, so I'll just light up my whole neighborhood. That's and, awesome. Uh, and then wild, too, my brother's gotten really good at solar panels, you know, yeah. just helping my mom wire up her system. We've been off the grid. She's still, she's 75 and still solar generator up in Elk Park, but uh, he wants to put a little solar farm on his property in California. He's like, dude, they don't want me to do this. They're like these taxes and they try to stop him from doing it. And he's like, it's bizarre. He's like, they don't want you to be energy independent. Yeah. I'm like, I wonder why. Yeah. No, it's, it's something the, the power thing, like, like when I built this, this house that I'm in, um, you know, I put a wood stove in there for a reason. I put a gas range in that takes no electricity for a reason. Like, you know, if you can, you know, and I have a pond or whatever, but if you can, if you can heat water, if you can keep your house warm, I mean, if you think about if, if the entire northern half of the country lost power for two weeks in January, I mean, people would be freezing to death, houses would all be freezing up, pipes all breaking. I mean, just the fact that people don't have a way to keep their own house warm with a wood right. stove puts you at a, at a gigantic disadvantage. If right. you can stay warm and you then have the ability to cook some food, now now we're talking, you can do all right. Now in the summertime, when it comes to, you know, keeping things refrigerated, that's a different set of problems. Right. That we only have to work uh, worry about for about two months out of the year. Right, yeah, Nashville's a different can of worms. And I find when the power goes out, I have this level of comfort. I'm like, ah, I'm used to this. I was like raised in so much chaos that when yeah. shit goes south, I'm like, Oh, my happy spot. Yeah. The world's ending. I yeah. feel awesome. <laughs> well, when we, we lost power here uh, this spring and we got our old kerosene lanterns out, it was actually a really good drill. And I was telling somebody else, a great drill, just don't even tell your wife or kids or anybody, but just throw your main breaker off on your house before they get home from work and just be like, yeah, I called the power company. They're, they're working on it. And just stay out of power one entire night. Right. And see how well prepared you are to cook have a lit house, you know, not have batteries charged, like all the different things. Right. Right. And, you know, just having wicks for our lanterns. Like I noticed when we did that, like we had a couple lanterns that were all dried up and crusty and the wicks wouldn't work. Yeah. Trim them, baby. Yeah. Trim them and have new ones available and stuff like that. So I told my wife, I'm like, we need to get a couple of those set back up, you know, and, and have kerosene for them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, uh, it's such simple things. I had a guy on the podcast, an old knife maker, we were talking about, uh, Rudy Ruana, but I had, uh, uh, Jerome Winan on here and he talks about as a kid growing up and being like late in high school before they had power or before they had a car and it boggles my mind how we went in two generations from that which was the norm to where today if we lost power they talk about millions of people dying in the first couple of weeks yeah it's crazy everyone's so dependent on these things that are to me it's a treat you know, yeah. I'm just like, oh, I know what it's like to not have it. So I kind of treat it a little differently. And even my own family, you know, they're just used to it. They're just like, oh, this is how right. it is. And I'm like, you know, it's like you don't know what you got till it's gone. And I've right. seen it gone. So I'm just like, appreciate it. And I still get defeated by microwaves to this day. 
Yeah. So I never had one until I was 18 and moved to Los Angeles. And my roommate was like, why do you keep putting forks and spoons in the microwave? And I'd stare at it as the lights are bouncing. Shit's lightning <laughs> yeah. going off. And they're like, are you a fucking caveman? I'm <laughs> yeah. like, I might be. Maybe so. <laughs> yeah. So growing up in Montana, uh, um, I asked you this a little bit earlier, so hopefully it's okay to ask, but was yeah. your was your last name Montana all along, or is this a stage name? Yeah, I had an interesting, and a lot of people ask me that, and I get, I love hearing that, Hannah Montana, I'm like, oh, why don't you come up with an original joke, douchebag? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so as a kid, I had a, my biological father abducted me when I was five or six, and it was, I had a pretty rough run of childhood um, when, I was, when I was younger. And he ended up getting locked up, and then I had a new stepdad that was the crazy militia guy, and he was not good to me and my mom either, and he went away. And so I had, through some adoption process, they destroyed my birth certificate, and I yeah. looked at taking my biological father's last name back, and I couldn't because the birth certificate was destroyed when I was like five, and I was like, oh, that's awesome. They're like, yeah, you can't have it. He's dead. He can't sign on it. I'm just like, what? And uh, so then I went and started researching my biological father and he was not a very good guy either and then i tried to find his last name and they said he was adopted escaped an orphanage when he was younger had horrible shit happen to him and i was like well what is his last name more importantly what is my last name they're like we have no idea and i was like you know what i'm not gonna glorify bad men right did bad shit to me and my mother and and uh you know so i was like you know what raised me and taught me more about life is this rugged country and being stuck in the mountains with no power and i was like you know it's a Native American route. I'm Montana, and I'd been called Montana since I was a kid, you know, because I was so backwoods, backcountry stuff. So I'm like, that's that's it. So you know, we had it legally changed a long time ago. So that's awesome. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a wild story, and it's really cool to to choose. I, I always say like the Native Americans, I think, do the naming stuff the best. Oh yeah, like I loved it in high school, and I'd be like Johnny Running Bear, report to the office. I'm like, yeah, yeah dude, that's awesome. Yeah, we have. Uh, I felt I actually felt bad because we have an we have an employee that started this spring down here. He's Native American, and um, I was trying to do something with his name, and I I couldn't I couldn't find. I was looking something up in our uh, I think it was our, his email address in our system that we had entered, and his last name is Little Son. And so I kept trying to figure out his name or whatever, and I was spelling it little S-O-N, right? And finally I went down to him like, dude, I, I can't find that email anywhere, blah, blah, blah. Like, S-U-N? Yeah, it was yeah. S-U-N. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't even think of that. But I was like, God, that's a cool, that's a cool name, you know? Um, There's some friends in Butte. They're uh, Blackfoot. And uh, they've taught me how to work on trucks since I was a little kid. They still take care of my mom. They own a big junkyard in Butte, the McGoverns. And I talk about Blackfoot Tom coming yeah. down from the res. Peace pipe smelling like the Grateful Dead. Give him a beer, he might give you a hit. That's just <laughs> the way it is. So I write songs about these guys that I grew up around. But we had three generations. His dad's 98 and was a World War II veteran. And then you have the son and then his son. And so I did a video shoot at their junkyard and one of the stylists came up from Nashville, and we had Indian motorcycle shirts. And so one of them was like, oh, I want to wear this Indian motorcycle shirt. And the grandpa saw it, and he kept saying, what tribe? And the stylist like, what is he talking about? And I'm like, you put a native in a shirt that says Indian, and she just had She's like, oh, my <laughs> God. And he's like, what tribe? What tribe? <laughs> and she's, you know, she's a big city public or uh, stylist, so she yeah. had a freaking heart attack. I'm like, you're getting canceled. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. good guys, man. I spent my whole life around uh, uh, the reservations up in the Flathead Reservation, yep. and I'd go 
dance at the powwows and Ronan when I was a kid. I'd go up there and I just always asked my mom, I was like, are you sure there's no Native American blood in me? Because I, I want to be Native so bad. Because <laughs> yeah. I thought it was the culture. And to this day, I'm just fascinated. I mean, you can see she's got some of these rings and, yeah. and turquoise. And uh, she's like, unfortunately, you're about as Irish, Scottish as it gets. But then at St. Matthew's in the Flathead Valley, is the Catholic school I went to uh, for a while. <clears throat> there was a white guy that came and he was adopted by uh, a native American tribe. And I was like, yes, we can have white <laughs> Indians. And he's like, well, it took me 10 years, you know, living on the reservation and getting yeah. involved in the politics. And I was like, Oh, that's quite a commitment. I don't know if I have time for <laughs> yeah. that. But <laughs> maybe funny. when I when I get a little older. So. Yeah. Well, so when you were abducted by your dad, how long did that happen until your mom got you back or it's like debatable my mom doesn't love telling me these stories i get to find these little nuggets as i go on and and uh god the other night in kansas city some lady came up started touching my face and crying and she's like oh i was there blah 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 and you were abducted and i'm like why are you telling me this at the meet and greet i have fans behind you like can we have this conversation somewhere else no shit so i don't think it was a very long time if anything it was like a split custody thing where dad would get me for a weekend mom would have me you know most of the month and I think my mom said that she begged the judge. She's like, don't let Tim take Tim, Tim right. and Timmy. I was a junior when I was born. And uh, I remember he put me in a yellow cab, and it was up in right by Julie's, the restaurant. That's where we had that pawn shop, gun yeah. shop. And I got in a yellow cab, like 50-style New York cab, one of his buddies, and they drove me to Spokane. And then I remember he's like, all right, we're going to have to keep you locked in this room. And they'd feed me under the door. No <laughs> shit. Yeah, it was pretty wild. And I have... Very vague memories, like sailboats on the curtain, uh, curtains in the room, and there's a lot of traffic. And at that point, I wasn't I wasn't accustomed to hearing traffic. And then I remember some like my dad was fine from what I remember, but he had some elderly people, specifically an old woman that I just have like weird, really weird, not friendly memories of from that, yeah. from that time. And I think it was only maybe a couple weeks. I don't know, <clears throat> but then I was playing and was in the Air Lewis tour last summer. And this lady showed up, and she's like, hey, I'm your dad's half-sister. And I'm like, no shit. So I finally cornered her, and I'm like, hey, what do you know about my kidnapping? And she's like, oh, I was there. And I was like, huh? And I started kind of getting anxiety, and she goes, and I said, I remember a mean old lady. She's like, it's probably me and my mom. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I started, like, looking at her and having these weird memories. And she looked looked me in the eyes and said, I wish we would have kept you. And I had a fucking meltdown. And I was, like, just bolted. And I'm like, not cool, you know, that, I don't know, why would, you, why would you say that to me? And I tried to call my wife, I'm like panicking, no cell service. So I had to play this whole concert, like just having this anxiety of like. With your a, kidnapper in the audience Right, my somewhere. kidnappers in the audience. <laughs> I'm like, God. That so, is wild. Yeah, it could be a Lifetime movie someday. It should be. <laughs> From no. that to the backwoods of the militia for 15 years, you know. So. Yeah. No, that's a, well, at the very least, you got one hell of a book. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean. One hell of a book, and uh, and you're still young. I mean, you still got a lot of story to tell. Thirty eight and feeling great, baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's it's uh, it's interesting because you see so many artists have interesting backgrounds, right? Difficulty. Um, There's a big dad thing. Yeah. My my mother in law just told me she. I was with Dave Grohl last night in Big Sky. He played with the Foo Fighters up there. And he did a documentary. He did not have a good relationship with his father. And he told me about this documentary. He's like, dude, do you know the amount of rock stars that either were abused by their dad, didn't have a dad, but they have this larger-than-life mother figure? And for that, that was me as well. My mom was always, you know, taking the fall for me, and shit was bad, and she'd be getting me out of there. And, you know, I can't blame her. It was, you know, some of that stuff. I'm like, well, why, why did we stay? 
and uh, right. she had to. She had to survive. You know, these people had money and supported her and kept us fed, and so they put up with abuse, you know? Right. And, uh, but yeah, there's a big Tom Petty, Dave Grohl. I mean, the list goes on. Johnny Cash of guys that either got beat up by dads, you know, that became artists later in life. And it's kind of wild. So, yeah. Hey, if you're getting beat up, get a guitar, you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> be just fine. So, it, where did the, you know, because this leads into the songwriting, right? Like, that's how a lot of, you, you know, you see it today on whether it's American Idol or whatever. Somebody comes up and um, they don't look like a singer. They don't look like, you know, frankly, they are probably homeless half the time. Right. And they open their mouth and they sing some original or even maybe they're just singing a cover of something and they're unbelievable. And what makes them really unbelievable to me a lot of times is you can just hear that there's more in their voice, whether it's pain or a story or there's something about their voice that just like when they sing something, you can tell they're singing it from such a different place than just like, oh, I just want to be a singer, you know. Um, did the songwriting, did you, did you write songs when you were a kid, like going through some of this stuff? Like when you started playing guitar? Yeah, I'd make up just stupid songs all the time. And I spent so much time alone. I have five siblings, but they're all considerably older than me. So they did not grow up with the person that I grew up with, a stepdad. Um, they all left. They, they didn't like him and be, they were old enough to leave. Um, so then we moved out in the woods and I did not have friends. So yeah. I probably look like a schizophrenic crazy person because when I'd play with my dogs, I would play like multiple characters in the woods with stick guns. Yeah. I'd be like, we're acting out Rambo movies and I'd play Rambo and then the enemy. And and I think songwriting too, I just always was talking to myself. And yeah. It wasn't like a weird thing. It's just I was a little kid. But man. I remember doing that. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in Lincoln and I didn't have anywhere near your story. But like <clears throat> when you went home from school... You were alone, like you. Yeah, you yeah. Even if my, my parents were working, busy doing everything they're doing, so I'd go outside and throw a baseball straight up in the air to myself and catch it a million times, or go to the river and throw rocks or whatever. Right. right? And honestly, make knives. I mean, that's yeah, yeah. that's what I did. And uh, you know, so you didn't have a, a way to stay connected with your friends at school, right, like right. like kids today. They come home from school and they're still texting their friends or messaging from who knows. 17 different apps right right but there was no connectivity even for a person with power mm -hmm. you know if you wanted to stand there and talk to your friends or a girlfriend or something like that it was literally on a corded phone next to your parents yeah um so going out and again i think that's part of what's missing with youth is the is letting your mind wander acting out all these different characters in your mind and and right you know playing cowboys and indians and doing all this different you know being an army ranger and out in the woods oh, yeah. with a stick, you know, chopping shit down. And, yep. you know, uh, I, I think there's just so much creativity that comes from growing up as a kid like that. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I definitely would be writing songs and little ideas. It didn't turn into something until high school when I started finding girls I had crushes on. So yeah. then I start writing songs for these chicks and, and then I ended up uh, winning the talent show and beat high. No big deal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a star was born oh yeah the beaut high talent show man is where i cut my teeth and there was a time too when that bad stepdad that i hate glorifying even calling him a step we'll call him a step piece of shit for now but yeah. uh, uh he started taking my guitars away and i didn't go out on dates i wasn't allowed to see friends i was i'd get home from school and that was it and I'd, he was the type of guy move all those rocks from this side of the field to that side and i come back and be like it's done he's like oh you're done early well then move them back and then you can move them back again it was just constant no shit constant torture of like just extreme did labor. you think about killing him i mean oh uh, yeah a lot 
Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a dark time. And when I found out, you know, I'd, I'd always dreamed that my biological father, cause I didn't know a lot about him at that point. I thought he was going to pull down the driveway someday and kick his ass and take me to this great life. So I always had that dream. Right. So when I was 15, my mom nonchalantly walked in, I was lacing up my logging boots and she goes, Hey, by the way, your dad died a couple of days ago. And she just kind of was like, Oh, cause I, we didn't talk about him much, but she didn't know that that was my only saving grace was he's going to pull down the driveway. He's going to yeah. get me out of here. That was rock fucking bottom for me. Really? I remember that. I was like, Oh, there's, there's no hope, you know? Yeah. Um, but music, and I was getting to, is the fact that this person realized that the only thing I had at that point was music and guitars, so then he started taking my guitars away. Yeah, so taking lock, your happiness away. He'd lock them up. So I would literally drop a guitar out of the back of that trailer house, and I'd walk by because he'd always make sure I didn't have a guitar on me to go to school, and my mom would sneak around the back of the trailer and hide it in the back of the truck, and then I'd go to school. And uh, a lot of teachers at Butte High knew some stuff that was going on, and I'd say, hey, can I go play guitar? They'd give me a pass to go to the choir room in the back room and play guitar at Butte High School. Really? And uh, so I'd have to, and then same with Auto Shop. Mr. Shea, I had my old Chevy, I'd work on it in there, and I'd be like, hey, Mr. Shea, can I play a little guitar? I'd be like, all right, you got your assignments done? He's like, yeah, go, go play guitar. So I'm not allowed to play at home anymore. And uh, so he let me play at school. So God, that's crazy. Yeah, and then it became problematic because I won the talent show and they put it in the paper. And I'm like, how the fuck am I going to explain that I just won the talent show while I'm not <laughs> yeah. supposed to be playing music? So Jeez. it was a. Uh, you know, fighting to play music, but then now I get into the, the big big leagues, right? Yeah. And everyone's like, man, it's a tough game. And I'm like, it ain't a tougher game than when I was a kid. I can tell you what, I'm used to being shit on and told I ain't going to do something, this and that. So to this day, I tell my manager all the time, he compliments me. I'm like, please don't compliment me. Tell me I suck. I work, yeah. I work better off of that. Yeah. <laughs> so did, did you, when you graduated high school, did you immediately like, I'm out of here, I'm gone? Oh, I'd moved out on a 17. You did? Yeah. And then I became a nut job because... It was getting bad. I was getting bloody noses all the time, you know, stress. And I was like, God, and that was from probably seven years old till I was 17. Was was that hard, like, leaving your mom behind, like, worrying about her? Or? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I moved into Butte, got a house, and uh, with a bunch of college kids, and they were making uh, fake satellite cards and fake IDs. And yeah. I was just this kid that had never had a life up until then. And uh, so I had a fake ID. Did that train just run off the rails? Oh, my God. And then I started, you know, when I was 15, I started getting a Social Security check because my dad died, and it was like 1500 bucks a month. So I'm freaking rolling, right? Yeah, right. So I had a T-Bird, a Harley, my old rust and red Chevy that I still have to this day, and this party house. And, and all, freedom. And freedom. And just that house seven days a week was just filled with kids partying, like, out of control. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. I remember my mom bringing me cookies on St. Patty's Day one year when I was 17, and she comes in with the cops. No <laughs> She's shit. like, Timmy, uh, beat police department's here looking for you. And I'm like, oh, shit. She's got, you know, shamrock-shaped cookies <laughs> that she makes for me. There's kids running everywhere, green beers and bongs. And well, and for people that don't know that are listening to this nationally, like Butte, Montana, Butte America, as they call it, is the place in the country to be for St. Patty's, Patty's Day. Day. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's... Uh, an incredibly, uh, you know, has an incredible amount of pride in their Butte roots and the copper mining and everything that was happening. And, and Butte was the largest city in the state yep. back in those old days. And so that's why it's got the number one on the license yep. plate. And now other cities have gotten a lot bigger and they get pissed because Butte still has one. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's wild, but, uh, but yeah, St. Patty's day there. So I can't imagine as a kid with a bunch of, of other, kids living with them and just having a ball. That was wild. Sure was wild. Yeah, went from nerd to Mr. Popular. 
and somehow graduated. I remember the dean of men when I crossed the stage was like, I don't know how you miss 100 days of school in one year or something. I don't know if it was 100, but it was just yeah. out of control how much school I missed. Yeah. And he gave me my diploma, and off I went to Los Angeles. Is that So is that where you went? Yeah. For music? Yeah. yeah. I, had, music? Uh, I had recruiters coming around when I was 17 because I was, you know, I was up there off grid running in military combat boots and doing logging shit. So I thought, man, and hunting and fishing. And I thought, man, this would be cool. It's 2002, something like that. And, uh, and my mom would not sign that paperwork. She's like, really? hell no. She's like, try music school, please, God. She told me she prayed every night I get into music school. Well, and that was right after 9-11. Right, man. right. Yeah. So... I had those guys coming up there, and then I sent a little audition tape off to Hollywood, California, and they, they accepted me and sent me all the paperwork. And my mom was like, praise Jesus, he's going to music school. So Yeah. What I, was that like? That was wild because, again, I, you know. I'd I been, mean, you're a real L.A. guy, right, obviously. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I lived right behind the Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard in the old apartment. I had no idea that Guns N' Roses came up in. And again, I was a fucking maniac because I, I, and to this day, I'm convinced that I'm such a wild, immature adult because I didn't get a lot of my youth, you know, I wasn't able to be a kid at a young age. Yeah. So I'm just a giant bearded kid, you know? And, uh, so yeah, LA was wild, man. It was just party was on and just shit was out of control. And, you know, I learned a lot, but, uh, just, I'm glad I got some of that stuff out of my system, but it was, it was rock and roll and partying and staying up for days at a time and. That had to have been a hell of a culture shock from, you know, from off grid to, to Butte, Montana to straight to LA. Yeah. You know, yeah. It was Park, wild. Elk Park. Were you in Elk Park at that point when you yeah. were in Butte? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man, that would be crazy. What, uh, did you, did you start a band when you were down there? Yeah. How, how I had a work? rock band, uh, and I brought a drummer back from Butte, my buddy Logan Duddy, and we're still good buddies. He came to LA for like a week and was like, you guys are fucked up. And he left in the middle of the night and didn't tell us. Really? <laughs> Pretty sure we pawned his guitar to buy drugs the next day. Yeah. <laughs> it was wild. Um, but I put a little band together and we never really played out. It was, it was one of those funny things where we talked about the band more than we played with the band. We're like, Oh yeah. dude, we're so badass." And that was a common thing down there. People would be like, dude, have you heard that guy play guitar? I heard he's badass." And you never heard these dudes play guitar, but they acted badass. Yeah. And, uh, so we had this band and we maybe practiced once or twice and I would practice guitar a lot, songwriting stuff. Um, and just trying to like, you're like, Oh, if I can get a record deal and I could play the whiskey, a go, go and this and that. And, just kind of a dream, you know? Yeah. And uh, most of those people, I'd say, God, 90% are regular job folks. Right. And I get messages from them all the time, like, I can't believe you're doing this, dude. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. I was always like, I'm going to do it. I'm never going to quit. But I think my Montana upbringing, you know, was like, taught me that shit of like, this, this, it's a hard business, but it's not as hard as that was. Right. Right. You no, know? that's, and that's, that's something. And it's also like, you're, you're, your chance for to escape to something better, you know, right. and you see a lot of pro athletes that came from terrible situations and all they had was a basketball, right. you know, like, and a hoop. That was yep. it, you know, um, or all they had was the gym. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my kids are pretty athletic, pretty good at sports and whatnot, but they live a pretty damn comfortable life. I mean, they've got enough to worry about where their meals are going to be and they can get all the sleep they need and, all the love they need. And it's like, and I've, I've talked to my boy about that. I'm like, there's somewhere, there's some kid somewhere, your size, everything about you two is the same, but all he can think about 24 hours a day is what, what could be someday. If he can 
like make it on the field, right? Yeah. Or on a court. I worry about that a lot because <clears throat> you see kind of historically people that struggle, you know, do great things in life and then they're successful and then their kids are just kind of lazy. And I'm like, oh my God, do I need to like starve these kids out? I know. <laughs> I need to rough them up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, how do I make them, you know, appreciate shit that I appreciate because they've got it fucking made, you know? Right. Right. No, it's tough. But I mean, well, and we'll get we'll get to it, but like with the move you're making right now and coming back to Montana, that'll be Oh, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And that's a that's some adversity for them. I mean, in their lives, like you say, they're not it's not gonna be hard in the sense of like trying to survive, but it's a it's a hard adjustment, hard change yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, but we'll get to that. I wanna go through like so LA partying, uh just being a young young rocker trying to figure it out where did you stay in LA for quite a while or did you come back to Montana? I did a year failed out. Uh, I did good at the classes I wanted to do good in and then music theory, music reading, I tanked. And it sounds like my, uh, when I flunked out of college in Bozeman because I duck hunted too much, I went to a few classes I liked, but yeah, yeah. I do the classes I I thought I needed, you know, I'd go train with Ken Steiger, this metal guitar player and he'd teach me that. And then I'd go, you know, I had parties to throw. All a cart. Yeah, I had chicks to meet. I mean, yeah. I, dude, I'm fucking busy. You want me to, like, yeah. you want me to go to music theory instead of party on a Hollywood yeah. Boulevard? Are you, I got a theory for are you. Are you insane? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I came back. I'll never forget. I rode the Greyhound bus from Los Angeles to Butte, Montana with a bass player. I found Andy Boone, who I'm still friends with. And we came back and uh, to Butte. And we said, we're going to, we knew we could rehearse in Butte and get the band together. That's when we started like rehearsing. And I got my old drummer and I had my Harley. And uh, it was like May, and it was still cold out, I remember it. And I took the Harley out for a ride, and I got rear-ended by somebody going like 60 miles an hour on Harrison Avenue and shattered my leg, tore my ACL, broke a windshield with my head. Lucky that I survived that. And I was like, well, I didn't see that fucking coming. Uh, yeah. So that kind of slowed that summer down. So then I went back to Hollywood on pain medication in uh, <laughs> mm. on crutches. And then I was even wilder, yeah. man. I was the one-legged fucking party maniac. Like, hey. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> So oh, I brought shit. I brought Logan back with me, and I took another swing at semester one of Musicians Institute. Failed out again because I didn't do the classes that I needed to get the credits. And yeah. I met a blind guitar player by the name of Johnny Highland that said, I live in Nashville, and I saw him play guitar, and I'm like, I've never seen anyone play an instrument like that. And he said, man, move out to Nashville, and I'll teach you how to play guitar. And I was like, you know what? This limpy son bitch going to Nashville. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. What year was that? Uh, 06, I think, 2006. Okay. Yeah. And did you live with him then, or did you? No, I got an apartment, uh, kind of by Vanderbilt University, but I would, uh, uh, go drive him around and stuff, because obviously he couldn't drive. Um, yeah. So I got an apartment. Well, he could, then, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> My brother tells a story where he drove in Montana, because he was the only sober person leaving a keg party. And uh, everyone's like, have the blind guy drive. And he can see a little bit, right? At least but, he has an ex- a good excuse right. for when he crashes. But he something. definitely is not, does not get a driver's license. But they had him drive back, and he said he made it from uh, Whitefish, Montana, all the way back to Kyla. <laughs> it didn't fuck up, but he said he pulled in the driveway, and he's like, shit, maybe everyone's wrong, and I can drive. And he said he went down another road and hit every mailbox. <laughs> <laughs> boom, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. So how does it work in Nashville? So you move there, and this isn't like the old days. I mean, this is just, what, 15 years ago? 20, yeah, 15, 17, I think. 17. Yeah. So, like, um, how does that work? Do you, did, you, did you get a job while you were there as well? Yeah, I 
Actually, that timeline was wrong. I got in trouble and lost my license when I was 20. I got a DUI in a 1970 Camaro. Really dumb move. Mm -hmm. Don't drink and drive, kids. Do the watermelon crawl. So I moved to Nashville and had no driver's license. So I had to get a job. But I also had gotten a settlement from the motorcycle accident. So that's the interesting turn of the story. Old Timmy got $100,000. And I was like, fuck, yeah. My brother's like, (laughs) pay off school dipshit, which was the smartest thing I ever did. And uh, then I just burned the rest of the money really fast on guitars, a couple bar tabs, you know, three, four grand here, you know. Yeah. What, what do 20-year-olds do? It was really an investment in your music yeah, career. Yeah, investment. And uh, paid a buddy to drive me to Nashville, dropped me off, and then ran out of money and uh, had to fry chickens at Harris Teeter for about a year wearing a beard net and a hair net. And that uh, had to be at work at 6 a.m. to open the grocery store. And uh, all the country stars, Dirks Bentley, Leon Rhymes would come in and They'd be like, uh, can I get some chicken? I'd be like, you guys want to hear a song? They're like, absolutely not. How about yeah. the chicken? Yeah, give me <laughs> so, my chicken. Very humbling first year in Nashville and then started. Uh, but that's got to provide some serious motivation too to be like, I got to work a little harder over here on my music to make sure I can quit doing this shit yeah. as soon as possible. Yeah, and I bought a little recording rig. So I was writing and recording some really terrible songs uh, that I listen to now and chuckle, but it, you, yeah. you got to start somewhere. Um and at some point ended up going to Tootsie's Orchid Lounge and I brought my butte fist fighting mentality with me and I got in a fight there one night and the owner's son saw it and he goes, you should be a bouncer. And I was like, all right, one step closer to <laughs> music. I can be a bouncer at this most famous honky tonk in Nashville where Chris Christopherson and Willie Nelson used to work at. So I started bouncing and then I started bar backing and they finally gave me a music shift in the back room. So it took about a couple of years to get a gig to where I no was shit. performing back there. So And did you have... Some some bandmates at that point, like in Nashville, Nashville's, or, or do you just, just kind of like pile of hired some guns. people up? And I met two guys from Kalispell, Montana, Jonathan Newton and Lauren Newton. And uh, Lauren ended up getting killed in an accident a couple of years after that on on tour thing. You got run over, it was horrible. But uh, hmm. I teamed up with those two guys, and I found a group of three of us were from the Flathead Valley. And then Johnny Stanton played bass. He plays for the Steelwoods now, and uh, so we had a little band, and we started playing in the back room, and just started trucking and. And I just started booking shows back in Montana, specifically Evil Knievel days. And yeah. So we'd take three days and come up and play EK days. And which So is, what was that like to come back to Montana with a band oh, where, awesome. where you weren't allowed to play guitar by your stepdad Yeah. to have a concert? It was awesome because it'd be a massive crowd. And that's where I like cut my teeth and learned how to entertain crowds. And that's where I met Travis Pastrana and the Nitro Circus guys and I'm friends with to this day. And yeah. it all kind of... Go to the city where music is happening, tighten your skills, bring it back to where you started, you know, tighten the, tighten it up, you yep. keep going back and forth. And I did that for years. And and I think it was the first or second time I did Knievel Days is when they booked me at the Shoto Rodeo and David Letterman shows up. Oh, really? Yeah. And I found myself three months after that going to the Ed Sullivan Theater. And I'm like, fuck, this is easy. Dude, I'm going to be a superstar. Yeah. Not so fast. Yeah. No shit. <laughs> Had to go back to the drawing board, but I'll tell you what, David Letterman gave me a taste of the big time way too early. Like, I mean, huge bands can't get on that show. He saw me in Shoto, liked me, stayed in contact, and had his booker book me, so I got to go play, and I didn't have a manager, a booking agent. I was a musician playing one night a week at Tootsie's, and here I am at the Ed Sullivan Theater with Dave, and I played a song I wrote about my hometown, Butte America. It was the best song I thought I had. Yep. And uh, 
<clears throat> got a taste of that. And I thought the phone was going to blow up the next day and I was going to have a record deal and a publishing deal. And it was all history. And my wife and I even went and maxed out a credit card on some T-bone steaks. You know, that orchard bank, <laughs> low credit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They make those for low credit folks. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I came back, phone didn't ring and I was like, son of a bitch, but it gave me a taste of the big time. And yeah. I started, I was like, that was fucking awesome. That was the biggest adrenaline rush. There ain't a drug or anything on earth that can replace the feeling of performing in front of a national TV audience. Yeah. When did so, you get married in the process of all this? Oh, don't ask me that. I'm going to get divorced if I don't get this right. In <laughs> two thousand, She's going to divorce you anyway, so don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, I know. 2007. So she met me at Tootsie's. I was okay. working down there. Yeah, and she, and she was, is she from down there? No, she was from Northern California and she was there. She had a corporate job. I think she was with Rubbermaid commercial products at the time. Okay. She was there for a conference and girls would always come in. I'd wear a big cowboy hat and uh, be running beer up and down or doing the door. They'd always hit on you, right? Yeah. And then you have to stay at the bar till 4 a.m. and you see them leave it too with other dudes. So I just got so jaded and I uh, was like, nope, any girls hit on me, I'd just be, fuck off. I know, I know how this works, done it a million times. But this girl came back twice and I'm like, I've never had a repeat customer. And uh, she started, hey, what's up? And I'm like, what's up? And uh, she tells people too, I got off work that night at four and I called her and woke her up in her hotel room. I was like, you want to hang out? And she's like, uh, no. <laughs> I was like, where's your hotel? I'll come over right now. And she's yeah. like, absolutely not. So I ended up going to California to see my brother, who's the solar panel guy now. That's not what he does for a living. He just is really freaking good at it, like better yeah. than most companies. And uh, she lived maybe an hour from his house, and she came down and hung out. And uh, by God, I swear it was three or four months later we got married. At, no shit. At Tootsie's during one of my shows. No shit. There are marriage certificates says Church Tootsie's Orchid Lounge. That's super cool. Got married in a honky-tonk, man. And she moved to Nashville with you? And yeah, she got a transfer shortly thereafter, and uh, yeah. Rest is history. Four kids, and that's really cool. Yeah, she's been, and she was the one that, like you were talking about, you know, getting encouraged by your wife to step it up. She's like, "Hey, you should stop playing cover songs every night and go write your own songs." Oh, really? Yeah, because it was draining, man. And 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 you, it's a necessary thing you have to do, right? You have to, learn yeah. to cut your teeth, but if you play your own songs, this crowd stops. They don't give a shit about your own songs. They want to hear Hank Jr. and Sweet Home Alabama and all these cover songs. I just realized. I was learning to perform, but I was spinning my wheels because when I was done performing, then I put my guitar down and it was, I didn't want to touch it because you had to play for four hours straight, which is a long ass set. And these yeah. guys still do it to this day. Every bar is packed from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. Just dudes playing four hour shifts for tips. And so she's like, hey, I've got a good job. Why don't you stop playing Broadway and start writing songs? And then that went into a couple of years of writing songs until I got my first publishing contract, which is a small salary where you try to write songs for other artists. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I wondered, and I learned a little bit about that. Um, I was, we were talking when my wife and I had met Thomas Rhett and we were talking a little bit about and how that songwriting stuff all works and how basically people are just together in like think tanks down there in Nashville, just guys working right. together, just like writing song after song and pumping them out there, trying to get somebody to pick them up. So were you doing it? Were people just picking up your songs so that you were writing solo or were you working with like other guys? I was collaborating. So co-writing, they call it. Okay. So you go to an office and, and it gets, I mean, a lot of guys do it and it works, but I mean, sitting in an office building, trying to be creative, just was killing me too. I was like, Oh my God, this is so stale. And you're paid a salary to go in there as if you're just yeah, working you're giving, at a job. You're given a draw. So basically they give you X amount of money. Okay. And then if you get a song to hit, they recoup that. So okay. 
And if it doesn't work out, they drop you and everybody walks. You know? yeah. So it just basically keeps the light on, lights on. And Did you learn much through that process? I learned a ton. I mean, it, it's good to go with guys that kick your ass. You know, you go in the yeah. room, you get embarrassed. They run circles around you. They leave, and you're like, okay, how can I be better? How can I, you know, go to the next level? And uh, so I did that for quite a while. And I think my first cuts I had two Kid Rock singles, and I ended up writing those with him. Tennessee Mountaintop, Greatest Show on Earth. Uh, I think there one was top 10 single, and one was top 40 for a second. And you wrote it with him? Yeah, with him okay. and another friend, Cat Gravit. Yeah. Um, I met him at some point. How did you meet? How did you meet? I think that was Kid Rob O'Neill. Uh, the Butte guy, Navy SEAL. Yeah. Because I was sending, the first DJ to play me on the radio was Tom O'Neill in Butte, Montana. Okay. And his younger brother is Robert, o- Robert O'Neill, and I'd see pictures in his studio of, of Rob. And I was like, what's your brother do? He's like, he's a SEAL. I don't know what team. He comes home once a year and doesn't say shit. And uh, so I said, can I send him music? So I started mailing him music to Afghanistan and stuff and said, hey. This was, so he was still active duty? Yeah. Then before yeah. he, because he's the one that, one of the ones that, uh. Yeah, the Bin Laden Shot Bin Laden yeah, the yeah, face. Yeah, so he, uh, I'd send him stuff, and he got out, and he actually bumped into my wife in the airport. He's like, hey, I just got out of the Navy, and I appreciate your husband being so cool to me, and, you know, got a wild story coming out and this and that. And uh, so he met Kid Rock, linked me with Kid Rock. So he helped me make a lot of connections. Butte guy, you know, fellow fellow yeah. ginger, so. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah, I was, when hanging out with Derek Wolf, you know, he was up here hunting together, and he was talking about, um Kid Rock and just what a cool dude he is and yeah yeah that's real that's cool and I and I love his music and it's interesting because like I can you know you guys have you can you can just tell by people's different people's music that like these dudes have to be friends somehow yeah you can just tell they jive yeah know? Derek met Kid at my birthday duck camp down in Arkansas okay yeah okay yeah. That actually looked that looked like a freaking blast. Yeah, that was. We didn't know Bob was coming, Kid Rock, and he was like, "Hey, uh, landing my private jet at the FBO," and I'm like, "No shit." Yeah. <laughs> he lands this jet in Stuttgart, Arkansas. It says "America Badass" on the side. Yeah, that's. And awesome. he said his phone blew up. Uh, like John Daly's an Arkansas guy. He's like, "Hey, I heard you're in Stuttgart," and his funny response is, "How'd you know it was me?" His middle finger on the tail wing. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, who else would that be? Yeah. No shit. <laughs> but he showed up, man, and just hung out with everybody, treated them like gold, and him and I shared a room, and we had a blast, and then we ended up flying to Sarah Huckabee's inauguration dinner randomly the last night, and uh, he's like, I want to treat you guys to a good time, and I'm like, Bob, it's a 45-minute drive, and he goes, yeah, but it's a six-minute flight. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, like, all right, okay. and then all the my redneck buddies, the Pardues on Duck Camp are like, shit, man, all we got is camo. This is a black tie event. And kid's like, I think it'd be cool. So yeah. we roll in there with camouflage. And we're just all, you know, whooping it up. And at some point I end up on stage and I'm like, my wife's going to turn on the news and be like, I thought you were duck honey. What are you doing at a fucking inauguration right now? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm up there playing. And it was just like, this is, this is an interesting turn, huh? To own a jet. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, I saw you guys play for the first time. I saw you guys play live, and and I think you guys kind of had a smaller skeleton crew. But you guys had there was three of you, but down at the Black Rifle Ranch yeah, in Texas yeah. for the adapt adaptive athlete shoot uh, last. I think that was last year. Yeah, Dudley was down there, and yeah, yeah, they had us and, do a little uh, stripped down acoustic thing. Yeah, but I told my wife I was like, I couldn't believe for for being quote unquote stripped down how freaking good and how much like just how amazing you guys were with with not even like your whole setup and your yeah. whole band like because you literally f- like flew in did that and we're flying right back because you had shows the next day yeah and uh um 
I told her too, just like how impressed, like I am, I cannot play musical instrument whatsoever. And it, I, I absolutely love watching people play instruments. Like I love watching people, any, whatever it is, whatever they're good on. When you watch somebody that's like so good mm-hmm. and you guys, the way you guys play and then your songwriting to me caps it off. Like when you're playing river kids or you're playing whatever other songs, you know, your butte songs and, and so much of it. And I'm probably biased cause I, you know, it's Montana, right? I'm, right. It resonates with me because you're singing about places that are an hour from where I grew up, you know, right. um, hour and a half. So it's uh, it's just so cool. And you guys and you guys have such a unique sound. And that's the other thing I was going to ask you, like, it's interesting because Nashville country music radio for the last 10 years just has developed in my mind so much of like this the sound that's just kind of like so many of these artists sound the same. Right. And what I'm seeing lately, and, and I feel like I have my finger on the pulse of this stuff a little bit through my kids. Cause you know, I have a 18 year old daughter, you met her well, she was working downstairs here. And then I have a 17 year old daughter, I guess Demi's now 19, um, 19 and 17. And then, you know, my boy's 15, Macy's 13, but they're getting into like these artists that don't have that, Nashville sound, you know, Zach right. Bryan and, yep. you know, these different, these different singers that are becoming super, super popular. But when you play their music, it's not like this big produced Nashville yeah, sound. They, they had to kind of do it their own route. Yeah. You know, they're, they're not welcome to the mainstream country crowd, which I've been struggling with for years. You know, everyone's like, you're too rock for country. You're too, well, and that's what I was going to ask abrasive you. And yeah. you're, you're too rowdy and your, your music's too loud and your beard's too long and you're not playing the game. And yeah, so it's, it's a did different world down there man and the politics of it all is just kind of weird are, are you with a like a record company yeah yeah and, and uh i've been with uh broken bow uh music Knox, which is you know al dean's over there and lady wilson and jelly roll and uh they're they're cool they're swinging a bat at things that are different i mean if you look at what they did with laney and jelly roll yeah jelly roll with what he's doing and <clears throat> yeah yeah so they're finally i've been there Three years and it's kind of funny the lord works mysterious ways i was like man i don't think they're ever going to play me on the radio we should just take this opportunity to buy this property in montana and move home and you know see just tour i know i can tour forever i've got a really interesting pockets of fans all over the country that support us and i've kept the you know the wheels moving for years and i was like maybe we just maybe commercial radio is not in the cards and i turned in this little rock thing that i cut with a friend in a tough shed a tough shit. No shit. Yeah. He's got a computer rig in there. He lives three or four houses up from me. Our daughters play together. His name's Michael Wilshire and he does a lot of TV stuff. He did the terminal list theme song and uh, yeah. So Jack Carr's always posting his stuff and he has a funny, a different name for that. It's like a fake band. He started to do that stuff. Pretty cool. But, uh, we just started cutting this stuff and I said, man, let's just go hard. I, I just don't like being in the constraints of the Nashville what you're supposed to sound like. I'm yeah. like, let's go hard and do some rock shit. It's, it's, I grew up listening to Nirvana and Alice in Chains. And of course I loved Charlie Which Daniels. Which there's just such a lack of that right now. Right. So we swung a bat at this hard rock shit and I'm playing guitar on it, which in Nashville, they don't want artists playing guitar on stuff. You know, it's, it's oh, it has to be this session guy. And then you read the credits and you're like, why are there 12 guys playing on every record in Nashville? And they're amazing musicians, obviously, but it's a sound. It's the radio sound. Yeah, something hits and they chase it with something that sounds just like it, and then they yep. chase it with something that sounds just like that. That's what I'm complaining about, right? And then, uh, so we turned it in, thinking that that might be it for me with the you know record label, and they called and said, "Hey, man, we think you think you got a hit rock, a hit rock song." So now 
And we'd already signed the paperwork, so I get a call. They said, you're going to commercial rock radio uh, end of August, early September. And I was, like, driving my truck, and I got, like, emotionally overwhelmed and started crying and almost crashed my truck because I was, like, swung a bat at this in this town for 17 years and missed and missed. But it was always some slow thing on the side that people didn't expect, like, Charlie Sheen's directing this video. How the fuck did that happen? Boom, that would move you to the next level. Yeah. So I've always went around the norm, and it wasn't intentional. It was just doing what I knew what to do and making a connection here and knowing that maybe I could do that. And then, you know, working with some of the brands like Traeger and Black Rifle, they would post videos, and that would get it up here, but it was never a conventional route for me. But neither was my life. You know, the whole story up until now is just bizarre. But to find out the same month that I'm closing on this property in Montana and thought that shit was going away, the shit's going to happen all at the same time. You know? Yeah. And so, you're only in your thirties. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because like you've been doing this and, and like grinding at this, like you say, for the last 20 years, but you're still only in your thirties, you know? Right. And, and it's amazing because it does just take one, one connection, one, mm-hmm. one hit, one person deciding to uh, put this, put this fucker on the radio, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's, uh, it's interesting because I think if there was ever a time for an artist like you with a, with a, with a sound and the songwriting and the look and just everything that's, that's you, that's not Nashville. Like if there was ever a time that I think the like the world's ready for that kind of music, it's right now. And I mean, right. Look at Chris Stapleton. I mean, oh, he's the best, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have that, polished good looking 23 year old kid you know with the with the country music the nashville sound or whatever but like but he wrote that but shit he wrote in the game he did he yeah, wrote for, for years, years. all yeah. those hits you look at his catalog and you're like wow and, and then I, he I, and then he comes out on the cmt awards with justin uh, timberlake, justin timberlake yeah. and just that blew my mind i don't watch a lot of award shows but that night i happened to be watching and i was like wow because i had written with him and I got to sit down with him and Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top in the songwriting room. And everyone's like, what was that like? And I was like, I was just fucking terrified. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, guitar legend, Chris Stapleton. Holy shit, we wrote this song and I still have the work tape that I listen to. Because really? Chris is singing it, but you hear me barging in a little bit. Even yeah. though I can't even touch that guy with a 10-foot pole with his vocals. But I'm just yeah. like, I just need this to play my kids someday. That yeah. We wrote a song and, uh, and then Billy Gibbons in the background ripping. And I'm like, okay, I can die now. Yeah, I'm, I'm a happy That's man. Awesome. No, that that performance, uh, you know, and Justin Timberlake crushed it too. Oh, I mean, beast. both of those two, yeah. and they're so different. What what you know, in just look and everything that they do. But then when those two voices came together, and the way that they went after that song was Tennessee whiskey, right? I think that's the one. Yeah, they- I heard that connection happen in Montana. It's a I'm not gonna say any names, but another artist was gonna do it. Play Justin Timberlake's cabin, probably over. Yellowstone, Paradise Valley. I heard this from a pretty reliable source. And he said, this other artist was like, came in and haunt about doing it. He said, someone said, hey, you got to try this Chris guy. And Justin didn't know who he was. And he's like, well, there's a catch. His wife goes with him everywhere. And they're like, okay, whatever. We'll bring his wife. And it was to entertain Justin Timberlake and friends in a cabin with lanterns. This is the way I heard it. Really? That connection happened here in Montana. No shit. Yeah. And Justin Timberlake heard this guy sing and was like, holy shit, we have to do something with this dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but for you, like, I feel like um, you just keep, and and that's also, I think, what resonates with fans is, like, when that story comes out or it finally hits and they're like, no, this guy just kept grinding, yeah, kept doing his thing and didn't conform uh, because people are into artists. I tell people, even with our knives all the time, like, 
our knives are fine, but people are buying us, right? They're right. buying the story, the brand, the employees. It's why we do like our weekly vlogs and we include our employees on it. Cause like, I think customers like to see behind the scenes, mm-hmm. like who's actually putting your, their hands on your knife that you're getting. Right. Right. Um, and I think that's what's so cool about social media is people can also follow now their favorite artists and they can see what you're up to on the weekends. And it's like, oh, this guy's out with Pastrana. Or he's chopping his mom's wood in freaking <laughs> middle of winter in Montana, right? He's out elk hunting with Evan Hafer or whatever, right? right? And uh, I just feel like we live in a time frame today and for the next you know, foreseeable future that, that people can see through like marketing bullshit. Yeah. They can see through inauthenticism. There's so much. Well, you see people like, uh, who's that dude you, you like that you introduced me to with the freaking face, like Tom McDonald, that guy like self records all of his own video because they weren't going to put him on mainstream. I don't know if you've seen, you know, wasn't going to put his, uh, stuff on mainstream. He, he's a guy, he, he goes against all of the woke agenda. He's this dude that just is not going to get on the radio. Right. And, and record place isn't going to sign him, but he's freaking good. Right. And so he started producing his own videos and now he's a billionaire. I don't know how much money he's making, but he's, uh, he's like a YouTube, he's more like YouTube artist. Okay. He is. All his money's coming from YouTube basically. Wow. But okay. his wife and produces sales. their videos. Wow. And the two of them just produce them in their house, and they're crushing. Mm. And, and it's he's just a singer or what? Yeah, wow, singer. Check them out. It, it's rap. Yeah, okay. it's rap. But it's like, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. You would actually probably kind of like some. Of it. You'll really like his message. Okay. Yeah, it, cool. he's our kind of people as far yeah, as that yeah. goes. Um, but uh, the point is, is he's a guy that just was like, well, I'm not going to conform, so I'm going to just, I'm just going to do it my way, right? right? Right. And then people find it. Yeah. You know? And uh, it's the other thing, the other reason I have so, so much confidence that you're, you're going to find your way into the mainstream, into the radio, I think it's undeniable, is like when we're driving down the road and I ask my kids, like, what do you guys want to listen to? And my kids will say, as much as they'll say Zach Bryan or any of these other newer artists or, you know, more, more known radio artists, um, like Nashville artists, they'll be like, put Tim Montana on. And yeah. they'll sing along. Like my little thirteen-year-old Macy can sing along to half your songs. You That's know? the funniest thing. I get it all the time. Is my kids? Yeah, my kids, my kids, my kids. Like sing your songs, and I get tagged in videos all the time. And I'm like, should that three-year-old be singing? I'm mostly stoned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my exactly. mom hated that song until I said, "Mom." What if it's about Old Testament stone? And she's like, well, I love it then. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's violent, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, but being popular, I'd, I'd argue being popular with the younger crowd and the younger kids, like, guess who's going to be buying records and who's actually going to be downloading and sharing stuff right, and whatever. Right. Like, that's the that's the future. It's actually something that we've talked about, about, like, we're always asking our employees who are mostly, you saw them downstairs, most of them are under 25 years old. Yeah. And we're asking them, what YouTube pages do you follow? What what hunting places do you like? What do you guys like to do? What are you hearing at house parties or at the bar or whatever? And right, like right. trying to be current with with the young people, you know, with content and all that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. But so with with talking about coming back to Montana, you guys just made a giant move in the last few days. Yeah, we we haven't closed yet. Uh, it's supposed to close on the fifteenth, but everything is transferring right now but uh there's a place out in wise river montana population 44 called the wise river club and uh opened its doors in 1896 was a hotel and uh 
there was a flood, and I think in 1927, a levee broke, and most of the structures in Wise River were wiped out. Yeah. And the awning fell off the front, diverted the water around the building, and the building was salvaged. And uh, I've it's been owned by mom and pop, great local people for, what, 130 years, something like that. So, really? Uh, uh, the guy that Tom and Linda owned it for the last 15 years, and Tom Davis was from Scotland, and uh, he just loved that place. And he'd booked my band. We played there. God, one of those first tours, man. We came up in the wintertime and played there. It was like 06, 07, something like that. Yeah. And uh, there's still a signed drum head on the wall, and he'd always call me and be like, Tim, it's Tom Davis from the Wise River Club. And he'd <laughs> leave me song ideas. He was a musician, and I just fell in love with the guy. He was such a sweetheart. And uh, he passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately. And last summer, I'm up there hanging out, and uh, it's right on the Big Hole River. And his wife, Linda, is like, why don't you buy this place? And I'm like, oh, like I could afford it. And we talked about a number, and I called some friends and uh, said, uh, tell me this is a terrible idea. I called people much smarter than me. Yeah. Put it together, and I didn't want to oversell it. And I just said, look at this. And everyone came back, and they're like, uh, this is amazing. They're like, who's going to run it? And I'm like, I'd like to volunteer myself and my family. <laughs> And uh, they're like, you're going to move up to there from Nashville? And I'm like, yeah. And uh, I, I just, for my kids, for my, I'm on the road so much. Yeah. Constantly gone. And I come home to Nashville and it's just between the city and I don't like heat. I can't do humidity and I can't do too much of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I love people, I can't do that many people. At, you, you combine know. humanity and humidity. And it's oh, it's bad. the worst. Yeah. It's the worst. So I was just like, you know. And trying to find holes in it to where it was a bad idea. And I believe, you know, if it's the right path, it'll present itself and everything. My manager's like, you're going to national radio and you're fucking moving to the middle of nowhere. <laughs> Why are you doing this now? And I'm like, I think it's awesome. Ah, look at me. Right. Exactly. And I'm like, dude, I think this it adds to my story. And yeah. I, Well, I, you can still do both. I right. Mean. So we're going to keep our place in Nashville and then we're going to move up here. Our kids are going to a schoolhouse with three teachers and three students. Uh, my boys, and then my daughter's going to go either to the high school that I went to, and she said to me yesterday, she's the musician in the family. She's like, Dad, what if I win the talent show? And she's like, what would you do? I'm like, I'd probably be bawling in the crowd. <laughs> 100%. I'm going to have to start taking her she, instruments away. What does I got she play? Really cra- she does piano, a little bit of guitar, but she's sidetracked all the time with, she doesn't have social media, told her not until she's 16, and she just got an iPhone a year ago, but I just see her spending less and less time with music. I'm sitting here like, God dang it. But now she's been going to shows with me. She uh, became a Foo Fighters fan over COVID and didn't want to tell me that she discovered Nirvana and the Foo Fighters because it oh, was really? not cool to like the music your dad grew up listening to. Right. So it started at Father's Day. She, I was coming to do some work in Wise River and talk to the owner and paperwork and all that shit. By the way, if you want to do something terrible, get a Montana liquor license. It's like uh, oh, you know, the background checks and fingerprinting and DOJ. And you're just like, holy crap. Wow. I'm not buying a nuclear warhead, am I? Yeah. But uh, So I've been back and forth a lot. But she said, for Father's Day, you should take me to Bonnaroo. I want to see the Foo Fighters. And so I, we got backstage and there's Pat Smear. That's, you know, was the additional guitar player to Nirvana before the band ended. And, uh, and I told Pat, I walked up and I said, Pat, and I haven't seen her for years since before COVID. And I said, Pat, I told him a story about my daughter. He's like, where is she? And he just <laughs> stands up and you just see her face beat red as she's talking to someone from Nirvana. Yeah. And uh, so then the family, it was so funny because we pulled out and we're doing uh, from Nashville about a week ago. And I said, I got a show at the world famous Corn Palace in Mitchell, South Dakota. And I'm playing the world famous Buffalo Chip with ZZ Top, which was two nights ago. 
And uh, I'm pretty, I've got the Yukon loaded down with all of our shit, a Polaris in the back filled to the gills with clothes and toys. I got two dogs. I got my Sprinter <laughs> loaded down with all my gear, bicycles, motorcycles. To unload our musical equipment, you have to take all my family shit out. So my band's like, oh, my God, dude. And I got all the kids. Yeah. And so we're coming up. Do the concerts, get God, I hope you're taking, like, you should be, like, video vlogging this and shit. Yeah, we're getting a lot of video. We're working on some really cool content about, Good. you know, fixing this bar up and stuff. Yeah. Um, People but, will love that. Yeah. Then I get to Montana, and I'm so tired, and my phone pings, and it says the Foo Fighters are in Big Sky. And I'm like, oh. And then my daughter looks at me, and she goes, you got to take me. And I'm glad I did, because Dave Grohl was very busy at Bonnaroo. His family was there. It's a huge festival. This was a private thing, raising money for the River Foundation. It was the dude from, uh, uh, what's the movie of Brad Pitt about the rivers up here? They filmed in Missoula. Oh, the River, River Runs, Runs Through, through it. it. It was the yeah. dad, the actor. I forget his name. Tom is oh. also in uh, Top Gun. He's one okay. of the commanders in Top Gun. Yeah. Anyway, he's doing the event to raise money for the rivers. So I hit up the guys. I said, come see us. And uh, now she got to meet Dave Grohl last night. And he That's just, cool. he gave her about 10 minutes of his time, which is unbelievable that he did that and got a photo with her. And she's just like... Yeah, and then she stood on the side of the stage, and there you could reach out and touch the band. We're so close to him, yeah. so it was uh, pretty special. But she's getting into music, and she's seeing it. So now I'm hoping I'm like, hey, shut your phone off. You're not even on social media yet, and just fucking focus, right? Like, and I can't talk too much shit because I know if I would have had all these things, I couldn't have focused. Dude, can you imagine if you'd have had free, unfettered access to boobies on your phone? Oh my god, when you were. 12, 13, 14. You see me 15. driving down the highway now, riding that rumble strip. <laughs> <laughs> it says Pornhub I mean, on my van. <laughs> kids have so much more responsibility than we did, like, right. to, to manage. Like, I mean, everything that they ever could want to wonder about is in the palm of their hand all the 24 hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. And taking my kids to Sturgis, I don't I don't know if I recommend that. Uh, <laughs> we're at the Buffalo Chip, and my kids look up, and they see strippers spinning yeah. on poles. And then they're like, Doo the subs are going off and then the national anthem starts on the stage. So I'm like, Oh my God, it's hard to hear the national anthem. So we all take our hats off. And then you see these strippers spin in mid dance and they kill the music. And they're like, Oh, it's the anthem. And they like flip upside down and put a hand over their boobs. And then oh my, both of my sons are just like, wow. <laughs> and the rockets red. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's a new one. I've never listened to the national anthem while looking at strippers. Though. Yeah, that was yeah, it was interesting. Very patriotic, man. Show them boys what they're fighting for, right? But that's <laughs> like the fifth time that the family, because it's always we either go to Montana or coming home from grandma's, and they stop and do sturges with me. My wife's like, they have seen so many naked women at this point. My daughter, yeah. I remember she's like six or seven. The one that's a musician is like, Dad, I'm worried these girls are going to get sunburns on their boobies. <laughs> <laughs> Bring your kids to work day. Sunburns is the yeah, least of the worries of what they're going to catch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jeez. Well, that's a – and I'm, I meant to ask you uh, before I get back to the club, what's the what's the name of the song coming out on radio then? Uh, the Devil You Know. Can you find it on – is it out? Like It'll be it, out August 30th. We filmed – and I love filming my videos back in Montana. So I have two videos I came up and filmed in Butte, and uh, we did it in an old church. And uh, my mom showed up and goes, my God, I was baptized here in 1964. And, no uh, shit. I was like, wow, this old Baptist church uptown Butte. So it was a VRBO. And you shot a rock video in it. That's shot awesome. a rock video. And my son, it was his, my 12-year-old second appearance. His first appearance was in Mostly Stone where Charlie Sheen was the director. So I got to work with Charlie and he's really good. The other kids get nervous and this kid, it's out of nowhere, it's just like knows how to cry on command. No <laughs> shit. Because he does it all the time to me and his mom. And I'm like, cool, you're a little <laughs> dickhead, but you're going to be in my video. 
So then uh, he got to play Young Tim, and we redid some abuse scenes where a stepdad comes in, rips the guitar out of his hand, and explodes a lamp wow. in the wall. And my wife called me because she wasn't here, and she goes, uh, I just got a call. Uh, how's Dalton? I'm like, well, he's crying. Uh, the actor Russ is crying because he had some childhood trauma, and he wanted to portray that guy. He's one of my King's Camo, Raven Cam- uh, Crossbows guys. He wanted to be the guy because he grew up, had a rough story. He's like, I want to get this off my chest. I want to I want to be the abusive stepdad. I'm like, wow, the world's going to hate you. And the director started, everyone's just a fucking emotional wreck after the scenes. It wow. was so hardcore to redo it. And uh, my wife called. She's like, my kid better not need therapy like you need, you <laughs> asshole. <laughs> oh so I'll show gosh. you the video, but it comes out August 30th everywhere. And this is very important that everybody share it. This is where the rubber hits the road, baby. This sucker hits. We're putting a Waffle House in Butte. You guys can all come up and get them asses whooped for four ninety nine. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, yeah, for sure. August 30th. We're going to have to share that out for sure. Yeah. So that's cool. What the, So with the club, with the Wise River Club, is that a place you guys are going to be able to, like, people can come from out of state and book and, like, yeah. have a family reunion or Yep, we're going to have the bar. Fishing. There's a music venue, small stage there. So already the amount of songwriter and artist rock star friends that I've told about this are like, dude, count me in. So we've got six cabins. We've got seven RV spots. Upstairs is an old 1800s hotel with seven rooms. Then you've got the restaurant, dining room. Uh, and the big whole river's right there. So we're going to support all the local businesses up there. And uh, you can hopefully go online once we get our site up and book a fly fishing guide. There's elk hunting, there's snowmobiling, there's trail riding. And it's a really cool community. The people are great. Um, That's a beautiful, it's beautiful country. Yeah, the big whole valley. And I've, I've got such a connection up there. River kids, if you watch the video, that's mm-hmm. all my family on the big whole river. So when this opportunity came up, and uh, again, I tried to find holes in it. I'm like, this is uh, this and that. We had environmental issues, and then the state ended up covering, you know, the remediation of the soil because it was a gas station at one point. Okay. And so they got that all figured out. And uh, we're just going to do it. And the funny thing is, we have lived in some shitty houses in Nashville because the amount of money my wife had to help me fund records with, you know, and she's right. a VP of a candy company. Now she does very well. She's a powerhouse herself, but she sacrificed so much for me to make records for the last 15, 16 years. Yeah. And we lived in these shitty houses. And finally we got to a point where I was able to go independent, you know, and pay for my own business and get, yeah. get a sprinter and my own tour bus and got my CDL drive yeah. Charlie Sheen's old party bus. That's awesome. Yeah. But, uh, we finally remodeled our house. You're going to have to pass that piss test, son. I know. That's right. That's right. I'm good at it. But uh, we finally were able to remodel our house, and we haven't even been in it a year, and it's gorgeous, huge deck. And I'm like, hey, let's move into a bus in the big old valley. <laughs> and the, the kids are looking at me like, oh, my God, we have lived in shit houses forever. We finally get it nice, and Dad's moving us into a giant RV on the big old river. Like, well, I let's mean, do it. it's probably a terrible investment, too, because land in the last 20 years in Montana has just gone down and down. It's just, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Yeah. Good to lose all your money. Yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're going to get this thing rocking. I've got, you know, all the brands, you know, you work with a lot of similar brands. I've called all of them. They're like, dude, yeah. old Cowboy Bar, Tim Montana, in Montana. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How, how many people can the bar hold? And like you're in like the stage area, like if you want to have. It's very small. Uh, stage area, you could probably fit 150 people in that room, though. Yeah. It's a big, it's kind of a community center, too. It's cool. Like the kids after school come in there and all the fishing guides and they get dinner, they get food to go, and it's very small, tight knit. There's a little mercantile. Is it, do you say mercantile or mercantile? Mercantile. Yeah, there's a mercantile there. A lot of people. But I'm I'm definitely not the one to ask about English right. classes. And then there's the H Bar J. So there's two bars up there. 
little mercantile, little post office. Is there a little outside stage that you can do? There's a field in the back. It's eight and a half acres. So there we're going to go. clean that up. We're going to remodel the cabins. It's just, it's kind of over this, you know, a woman, a widow owns it now. So she's a one, you know, she's got a little crew there, but no one's really taking a lot of care of the back property lately. So I want to clean that up, get that looking have good. Have some concerts out yeah, there. Yeah, and do some concerts back there. So that's awesome. Welcome to Wise River. Super cool. Now, are you uh, you going to do some hunting this fall? Yeah, I've got Wyoming tags. i got antelope, mule deer. Uh, Remy Warren and I went on a hunt uh, last year down there, and I met these great folks. Do you know Chris Alk that works with Remy? Yep. So he's like, hey, you got invited back. That was funny. I showed up 50,000 acres, and I could tell Gene, the guy that owned the property, he looked at my hair and shit, and I'm like, oh, no, here we go. Not a fan. So I sat next to him and said, Gene, you like Merle Hager? He looks at me all funny. I start playing some Merle, and he's like, I got to like you. <laughs> <laughs> so then by the end of the trip, I took a nude photo. I, t- I don't know if you saw the photo I posted, no. but I put them on koozies, and they started selling out. It's this gorgeous mountain that you can see like a 1,000 miles of Wyoming behind me. And I just posed and covered my junk. And I remember yelling at Gene. I'm like, Gene, can I take a nude photo? And he just yells back in the wind, you're a pervert. <laughs> and I snapped the photo. Of course, I posted on social media, lose some followers, whatever. And uh, put it on a koozie and they start selling out. And my wife is just like, please don't encourage him. Anyway, so I, I've mailed Gene a bunch of nude photos of myself. That's awesome. Apparently he's amused. So he invited me back. So I'm going to go hunt there. I got Montana tags. But we also have a national radio thing happening as well. So I've got a make sure I'm available to go to my manager's like, if I tell you, you need to go to Louisville tomorrow, you're going to have to go tomorrow and show right. up and play a 5 a.m. radio show. So I've got to make sure I'm locked. Well, dude, you're, I mean, you're, you're an artist, you're a singer, like you're, you're born and bred to, I mean, your whole life's been to do that. Yeah, so that's a hundred percent, you know, and the club's awesome, but the club will always be there. And like you say, you've got a supportive family and friends. Yeah. And my nephew's going to run it and he's excited and, yeah, a big old boy with a beard looks like yeah. me. So no, that's uh that's fantastic. But I, I swear it's like we were actually discussing this this morning. Like we we're talking about doing like a video of just well, kind of the some of the story I told you, and I kind of hit the wave tops this morning about like how I came up to to now, right? Well, that's from eleven years old to forty two, right? So thirty one years to 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 get to get 42? to today, yeah. Finally, the girls you date half your age can legally buy you a drink. Sorry, it's, a, it's my favorite joke before it's actually, two year olds. It's actually, he's not a girl, but Tristan downstairs turned 21 today. So I'm Finally, the dude her, you date half your the, age. Hey, we're inclusive around here. That's right. So, but, you know, 31 years of working and like I tell my kids, I always, I always tell my kids whether it's working out in the gym or whatever they're doing, like you're stacking grains of sand, right? And right. It, like for the longest time, if I told... If I told you, hey, go fill up that train car full of sand, but you can only carry as much as you can pinch in your fingers into that train car, right? You would you would just be doing that for years and not and not feel like you're getting anywhere. And then one day you'd wake up and look and be like, some bitch is half full, right? You know, <clears throat> but you're still only halfway there. And <clears throat> I tell them, you just got to keep stacking those grains of sand, and pretty soon you, it's a pile and it's a mountain. And the next thing you know you're having avalanches, right? And right. like now it feels like we're you're just finally getting to that place in your career where like the avalanche could strike at any moment. Right. You know, that avalanche of sand that you've been stacking up now all of a sudden starts to slide and it, it's just uh it just feels like you're right on that spot where <clears throat> and I think all of the 
the politics, the way the world is, the way the country is. I think what young people are seeking out, a lot of the way that things are changing. And um, I just think that people are looking for people who are authentic. Yeah. You know, and they're they're looking for individual artists to find. And that's, again, that's a lot of times the ones you see that people fall in love on American Idol. It's, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's the simple guy that's not that good looking that is just this crazy weird artist out of the freaking subways in New York. And he's yeah. fucking unbelievable. Yeah. The made <clears throat> by a machine artist thing is, I think slowly going away. Cause people, you can't buy authenticity. And you no, can, you can tell it, you know, you go on people's social media, you're like, Oh, did you make that? Or did your label group make that? You know? Right. Cause it sounds like 30 other songs I just heard, you yeah. know? <clears throat> so, uh, and you know, you can cuss and I'm sure a lot of artists do. We actually talked to, to read a little bit about this, but like how much things have changed from the old days of like Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, George Strait of albums mm-hmm. and everybody bought, you know, tapes and CDs back then to today with iTunes. Yeah. <clears throat> and you can argue the places where that's, that's bad for people, but also like I'll have to find the guy's name. I can't remember, but I found a guy the other day, like I, I was playing some artist and you know how it kind of runs out of like their normal, this dude only had like six songs on there, but then like, starts to play artists like that person. Right, right. And <clears throat> I found some dude I've never heard of. I was like, this freaking kid's good, but he only had six or eight songs. Right. And it's like, well, that's a guy that's probably been grinding a long time too, and it feels like <clears throat> maybe for him he's just on the verge, you know. Right. Which you're, I don't want to make it sound like you're some new guy. You've been freaking crushing it all over the place. Like every time I see photos or videos of your guys' concerts, I mean, people are losing their mind at your yeah. guys' concerts. I mean, we still have small ones here and there. You know, we've, we've, we'll play to five people and then we'll play to 5,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's humbling. And in a lot of fans I have are like, dude, I saw you play a room with three people. And I remember a room in Texas where one dude showed up. And it was fucking awkward. But I'm like, you know what? We're going to send it for this guy. Yeah. And we sent it. And by God, he comes out to every show. And, and ZZ Top, I watched a documentary. They have the same story. They said they were in, somewhere in Texas. And the curtain opened. And there's one dude. And he looked around and went to leave. And ZZ Top's like, like whoa, whoa, no. whoa, whoa, Don't leave. Don't leave. <laughs> and they bought him a Coke or something. And they said, the guy still comes around 50 years later. That's awesome. <laughs> so I have this theory of, you know, whether it's 5,000 people or five people, and a lot of artists, you know, try to put off the, oh, we're sold out, this and that. And it's like, man, own your shit. Like, you know, yeah. we, we play, we have markets that are really strong where we crush and we have some that aren't as strong. And then we go out and support, but it's always gaining new fans and performing like you're at Madison Square Gardens every night. I don't well, care who's when, in front of you. And when you go to those markets that aren't super strong or maybe you're not real well known in, but you crush for that 200 people or whatever that is, right? And you know, 180 of those people go home until 180 people. Right. Oh my God. I saw this freaking guy. I didn't know who he was, but they were just killer, you know, and they start downloading songs. Right. And then they come to the next time you're in town. And I, I've said that I, I feel bad. Like sometimes you go to venues and there'll be a guy playing in the corner or a band playing and nobody's really paying attention to him. And the best compliment I can give you guys is like, when you guys started playing down at black rifles ranch, like you guys are so good and so dynamic that like, people like stop their conversations and start to watch, you know? And yeah. like when you can stop a room, that's, it's not background music. It's, a, it's, it's entertainment. Yeah. Like, I remember Dudley <clears throat> pulled a chair up right to the front and just sat there Yeah, just by himself. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, it was freaking awesome, dude. And then, and then, you know, the way you guys can, 
Ablid stuff, ab Ablid stuff, and you know, playing with you know Matt Best, and then Matt's yeah. dad got up and played, which oh, was he's, cool. He's the beast, man. I love him, Papa Best. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, cool, man. Uh, yeah, appreciate you coming by the shop. It was really cool. You showed up with your family, which is awesome. You yeah, know. we got to go make this Julie's connection. My mom's gonna flip. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right, well, don't be a stranger. We got to come down to that club and uh, and check it out. And got a cabin whenever you want. Awesome. Thank you, man. Awesome. Thank you.